0: Hi, welcome to this episode of the Autism Everyday Podcast. We are your hosts, Swati and Kita.
1: Hi. It's great to be recording again, right? Feels like forever since we did this.
0: (laughs) You bet, it's been so long. And in case you guys are tuning in only now, go back onto iTunes or Spotify, whatever you're using, and put our playlist on loop. You don't want to be missing out on some of the great tips tricks and some lovely evidence-based resources that we have for you and some really, really
1: fabulous interviews as well.
0: That's right. And that brings me to today's episode. It's super special because we have Sharda and Tavita, co-founders of Cambridge Academy for Adults with Autism. Welcome you two.
2: Hi, Swati and Gita. Thank you. Thank you, Swati and Gita. It's a privilege and an honor being here. Oh, we're just we're
0: equally excited. Um, so some housekeeping before
2: we begin. All four of us
0: are recording from different locations, so there might be some lag in the audio, and we're sorry if you experience that. So with that, let's let's get started. we? Right.
1: Yeah. So some background for our listeners before we go on to, you know, talking to Sharga and Kavita. Sandwich um, Academy Academy is, I think, what we can call a. Uh, Startup venture right now, right? It originated from the many discussions and meetings uh, uh, we had at, at weekend with parents of children who were, you know, 16 years or a little older at that point of time. And the question of what after 18 has always been one which had no clear answers. I mean, this question has been raised the last so many years, and it would always be, oh you know, no, let's see, something will happen, and so on and so forth. Then this was the first time I think uh, the the discussions kind of led to something more concrete, and the project kind of shaped up and initiated by uh, the, this those group of parents and and weekend at that point of time. But now it's been taken over by Kavita uh one of the parents of this charming young man that we work with. He's the best, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sharda Rajanam, who has years and years of working with children with ASD at weekend. So let's get started. Are you guys ready? (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, here we go. So some of our uh, regular listeners just sent us a bunch of questions. So we're just going to dig right into it. Uh Uh, So first up, a lot of them are not from Chennai. So they don't really know uh, the kind of work you guys do. And they'd love to know the kind of population you guys work with. Like where are their skill sets? uh, Specifically on the autism spectrum, where would you say they are at?
3: Okay. Uh, We at Cambridge uh, work with uh, students who are 18 years and above and obviously on the autism spectrum. Uh, Most of them have graduated out of school or they have outgrown services providing uh, intervention centers. So they are like Mm -hmm. in that in-between state where, you know, don't know what to do sort of. So the kind of students we have are actually moderate to the severe end of the spectrum, I can say. Because they have significant uh, communication challenges, which sometimes leads to the behavioral challenges, you know, which Mm. is obviously arising out of this lack of communication, which they have. But some of the skills which have been built over the years that include like, you know, staying on task for a certain period of time, following instructions from different people, functioning in a group. These are some of the basics we can say are there for work skills. Mm-hmm. And some of the abilities may include, like, basic life skills, you know, taking care of oneself um, as to what is appropriate in a social setting. Uh, these kind of, uh, you know, some existing skill sets are there when they come to us uh, at 18. And also mm-hmm. the, you know, willingness to learn. I think that is very important and most of them have it. When they are taught in in their learning style, because obviously each one has got a different uh, learning style. So it's up to us to discover that potential and discover their new abilities. And uh, what I've seen is interests keep changing as they grow. So, you mm. know, we need to be very aware of where their interest is, uh, you know, changing or where they're showing their interest and try to take it forward. Yeah, they do come up with a lot of skills, which are known and unknown also. Many times comes as a surprise to us, you know.
1: I know. 18 years is a long time. Many things are learned. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are the, some of the unique challenges That
2: you face. Uh, Well, Geeta, uh, one of the things that we have noticed is they come to us at 18, by which time they have, uh, you know, very defined personalities.
0: Mm.
2: Um, They also have had very unique and varied experiences of learning. Right. So it's not like it's, uh, you know, a blank slate, but they already have lots of experiences uh, within them. So mm. our first task really bec- becomes to unravel and find the person underneath with all his or her strengths and challenges and work with that. Mm. The second challenge which we've noticed is, uh, well, I won't really call it a challenge. It's really more of a reality, which mm. can be in some ways uh, challenging. Mm. is the, you know, the fatigue that families have. uh, Because Mm. by the time your uh, child is 18, uh, you have actually tried uh, many things over the years. So there is a legitimate and understandable tiredness. So Mm -hmm. they come to us with, of course, a little bit of hope and faith, but also doubt and uh, some uncertainty about what the future holds. So in a sense, we have to actually dream for them, for their offspring and slowly build a pute- belief in both the potential of their youngster as well as how important it is to be realistic and accepting
1: right the
2: yeah. other uh, you know uh, challenge which we have faced has been our own struggle so all of us who have been uh, facilitating at cambridge are uh, have been teachers to young children or our parents and right. means, you know it's so much more natural to for us to treat them as children but yeah. really they are <laughs> And above they are young adults yeah. you know uh, very well defined uh, you know personalities of their own so for us the challenge was how do we move from being teachers to you know co-workers how do we give and respect their choices you know it's mm-hmm. simple things like what tone of voice to use what kind of words you use and how you uh, you know uh, create an environment which really respects each of them and their you know what uh, their choices I think these have been some of the challenges that we have faced.
1: Right, right. Interesting, yeah.
0: Sharda, I'd be, I'd be curious to know how different is it because you, I mean, you come from like so many, so many years of experience working with um, younger kids, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how different is it when you're working with um, the older population?
3: Yeah, I think taking it from what Kavita said, It is a lot to do with our mindset. You know, first of all, uh, look at them basically, uh, you know, like a clean slate, though they come with a lot of baggage. uh, Don't go with the preconceived thing that this uh, child knows this and doesn't know this. That's what most often happens with uh, um, many of the educators and with parents because they've been with them from the childhood so you know that thing of looking at them differently also giving them that uh, you know um, uh, space or the choices and exploration so that you also find out and they also find out what more they can do so that complete mind shift i think within us as the facilitator and i think parents in uh, mm. starting to look at them not as children and mm. start looking at them as adults and Yes, they may have some chal- challenges like, you know, there are certain things which they may never be able to do just because are, they have suddenly turned 18 that doesn't make that, uh, you know, uh, student or that child uh, suddenly capable of doing X number of things. So that, right. uh, that uh, capacity to accept that there are certain things he can do only up to this level and try to make adaptations so that he, you know, is able to cope up with the challenges uh, that he's having. I think that has been, you know, a real eye-opener for me also, I can say.
1: Right. Yeah, that's that's right. So, if, if you look back, uh, if you were to look back at the past, right, or the experiences of the population that you are mm-hmm. currently with, what is something you think that parents, you know, should actually have done differently, less of, more of, mm-hmm. whatever it is? So that you know, these, these children when they grow up are better prepared for adulthood.
3: Right. Yeah, Geeta, you know, uh, I think uh, very often we used to talk about this. Well, how will these children be when they grow up? And, you know, when they become moon, so to say. Yeah. But I think uh, what is, the thing is the realistic expectations, uh, I think, I'm talking at it from the parents' point of view.
2: You know, mm-hmm. either
3: having too much of expectations, like when they are very young kids, like, you know, Uh, puts a lot of pressure and anxiety on the child and that sometimes comes in the way of his learning I feel you know that having the too much expectation from the child and vice versa if it's too less you know oh my child has autism he he can do only so much you know that kind of thing also doesn't help them to find out the real potential so I think getting a right balance uh, is very crucial in terms of expectations of what your child can do and what you want your child to do. Mm. Uh, that is something I think parents can, uh, children of, uh, I mean, parents of younger children can keep it in their mind uh, while uh, wanting things from their kids. Awesome. And the, I think another big one to focus on is the communication part of it. Mm. Uh, you know, because uh, very often in the early childhood, we they start uh, looking at need-based communication. And once the child is able to communicate his basic needs you know the parents also sometimes feel I'm able to understand whatever he says but you know that need to develop it as they grow mm-hmm. and not look at only speech as a mm-hmm. form of communication because it can't be waiting forever for the child to develop speech so looking at alternate and augmented forms of communication which will be appropriate for that particular child I think that is something also which ca- could have been done with more focus with some of the children uh, who are now young adults, I uh, would have put them in a better place now is what I feel. Mm. And also work on building skills that will be uh, useful for them in real life and not so much on their ABCs and 1, two, threes. Yeah, reading is very important. But, you know, uh, once they start reading, you can also look at the more functional kind of uh, you know, work rather than uh, putting them through the mainstream kind of reading and exercises and homeworks and all that. Okay, look at their, uh, looking at managing themselves, you know, regulating themselves, uh, access to like uh, required support, navigating in familiar places, looking after their own hygiene and self-care. I think all these things uh, have to be, could have been done, uh, you know, if more focus was um, kind of, you know, on this in the younger age, when they are at this adolescent or young adult age, I think they'll be in a better place. Yeah. Okay. So,
1: so that's a, that's a message uh, that you know you want younger parents and yeah, possibly absolutely. other age to yeah, hear yeah. that we need to focus on functionality above everything else because uh, end of the day, you you're working to make towards making this this person an independent, uh, self-sufficient individual. And so from the beginning, we want to focus on
3: some of those skills, right? Right, right. So actually, when we talk about independent, no, uh, Gita, uh, very often now we are also thinking that it's not entirely independent, but at least, uh, you know, all of us are at some point, I think, interdependent on each other for everything. So at least to the extent possible where they will be able to be functional, Yes. they shouldn't take that word independent very uh you know that child needs to be independent seems to be on the top of the head for many parents, but it no, comes yes. with a lot of uh, things they well, have to give it.
1: operationally defining independence <laughs> so that it's uh it is a regular i mean like you and me right exactly
3: yeah. we are all dependent on so many things and so many people it's like that, yeah. <laughs>
0: Cool. Um, So I know this one is a bit hard to answer, but with the current learners that you guys work with, where do you see them 10 years from now? They'll they'll probably be 28, right? Most of them. Mm -hmm. What do you see them do at that point of time?
2: Um, Yeah, Swati, I think uh, basically Cambridge is a kind of a bridge between school and uh, life as an adult. So if you're going to look at what really defines uh, adult, what is being an adult, I think one would look at three broad areas. So one is that you would have some kind of a livelihood, which is consistent. Uh, you start living independent of your family and the whole area of relationships, friendships, exploring sexuality, making your own family and so on. Now, if these are the three markers of adulthood, how do we interpret this with our uh, population, with our youngsters, how do we apply them, and how do we un- uh, what is the vision we have for our youngsters uh, towards which we uh, start training them? So for for me, I would think that ten years from now, I would see all of them uh, going to a workplace where mm-hmm. they would spend about six to eight hours of the day, where uh, they are doing work which is based on their interests and abilities. Which, is, uh, which may be, may or may not be remunerative. So some part of their work may be remunerative. For example, they may be weaving or uh, doing data entry or something like that. So some part is remunerative work, but they may also be doing work for, for their group or for their community. For example, they might be doing uh, they might be cooking lunch every day for everybody collectively, or cleaning up the workspace. So I think work would be something that they engage with. Um, they would also be spending time in developing their own interests, which mm. is something which they do for themselves. Mm. So uh, what we find very often uh, what engages them is an art form. So something all of them have their preferred uh, you know, art, art that they kind of relate to. So we see them spending part of the day working in a creative arts uh, kind of a studio, where they're actually creating, they're creating art, music, movement, maybe photography, digital art. Uh, And this becomes necessary also for their own sense of psycho-emotional well-being. So our vision is really that they live life to the fullest and not, uh, you know, be boxed into pursuing some ex-vocational activity. Right. yeah so we would see that if, if uh, living independently of the family is one of the adult goals, then by the time they're 30 we hope to see that families have some concrete arrangements in place for the long-term care of their offspring with whatever supports are required so they we would need to have you know legal financial arrangements in place uh, look at what would be their living arrangements would they continue to be staying in a family home would they mm. be in some kind of, you know, where some few of them are sharing a flat or something? Would they be mm. in assisted living? There are so many options coming up. But I think by the time they are 30, which means parents are at least 55 plus, uh, mm. something should be in place. Right. And the third area would be this whole area of relationships and friendships. Mm. And really see how do we interpret that for, for our younger dads? You know, what what is really family for them? Uh, you know, is it sharing the day with coworkers? Is that the family? Are those the friends? Uh, how do we address sexuality? I think these are, uh, you know, some of the issues we need to look at. Now, I think we've taken some baby steps on the first two, you know, in terms of building skills for a meaningful life, building skills for independence or semi-independence. But the last one, I think, is something that we are grappling with, and hopefully, in ten years, we'll have some kind of direction of where we are going.
1: I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure. After all, uh, experience is going to be the biggest deal. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was, um, that was a very insightful, insightful conversation. Insightful conversation. Yeah. yeah. So, thank you for being on our show, uh, Kavita and um, Sharda. And we really need needed to have this conversation mm-hmm. and probably we'll need to do a lot more of
3: this. Yeah. we are. <laughs> Yeah. yeah actually yeah. yes once we start uh, you know there is so much to say and so much to share I think and discuss so uh, uh, yeah it will be nice to have uh, more shows more talks yeah thanks yeah. for the opportunity
2: thank thanks, you guys. and
3: Swati
2: yeah your podcasts are uh, you know so exceptional and they're really Uh, what should I say, privilege to be part of it. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. absolutely.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right. With that, it's a wrap. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Do log into www.weekandindia.org to know more about our work and go follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And while you're at it, please go check out our neurodiversity blog, Behaviour Swag, that's SWAG.com. See you next time.